0: I'm Dave Breckenridge, and you're listening to Ten Three. A major pipeline project saw opposition swell across the country last week, and no, it had nothing to do with bitumen from Alberta. A blockade against a natural gas pipeline from the Peace Country to Kitimat on the west coast sparked arrests and then rallies of support across the country. We look at who's behind the blockade, what issues there are with the project, and what the dispute raises about consultations with First Nations when it comes to energy infrastructure. It's Tuesday, January 15th. Before we get to our conversation, I'm hoping you can do me a favor. Instead of listening to us on a web browser, open up Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts and hit the subscribe icon. You'll get every episode right to your device. No searching or bookmarking, just news right in your feed. Vaughn Palmer is a provincial affairs columnist for the Vancouver Sun. So, Vaughn, in remote BC wilderness sits the Unastodden camp, where members of hereditary clans of the Wet'suwet'en First Nation are trying to block surveying and development of the coastal gas link LNG pipeline. What is at the heart of their actions?
1: Well, they don't consent, they say, to this pipeline going through their traditional territory and since very... Little of British Columbia has been settled by treaties. They say that you can't build the pipeline without their consent. Complicating the matter is that other leaders of the Wet'suwet'en, including the elected leadership of the First Nation, have not only approved the project, but signed benefit-sharing agreements. So you have a dispute over who really speaks for indigenous people with this project.
0: Now, the UN Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples was something the NDP government of John Horgan was keen to honour when they took office. What has the government had to say about the consultation process in this case? Well, they say they still
1: support the United Nations Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples. They say that the passage, which refers to free, which guarantees First Nations, free prior and informed consent, they say that's been met here and they point to the fact that along the route of this pipeline and at the LNG terminal that would be built in Kitimat, There are 20 First Nations with traditional territories, and all 20 of those First Nations, the elected leadership of them, have signed benefit-sharing agreements. So Premier John Horgan reiterated last week what he had said last fall when the project was announced, that he believes the test has been met, that the... The company here, uh, LNG Canada, has met the test of not just consulting First Nations but securing their consent and giving them what the B.C. government regards as very generous benefit-sharing agreements in the hundreds of millions of dollars.
0: Is this the only First Nation where there seems to be a dispute between what the elected councils have said – and what some other uh, members of the First Nation are saying in terms of whether they approve of the pipeline?
1: This is the most dramatic one in BC because of the stakes involving this project. LNG Canada is a $40 billion investment in British Columbia. It would be the first project in British Columbia where we're able to export natural gas to Asia instead of having to send it all to the United States. So that's why the stakes are so high. But there is a running debate in British Columbia and a running negotiation involving the provincial government. On the transition between hereditary chiefs speaking for their First Nations and elected councils doing so, that issue will probably eventually end up in courts and have to be settled that way because there's significant disagreement about where the dividing line is.
0: Now, you talk about this potentially, that argument winding up in court, could the dispute over the LNG Canada project be kind of the impetus that pushes that debate to court? Uh, Yes, it could.
1: You know, they made – I mean, last week ended on a fairly positive note. The week began with RCMP arresting people there, moving to clear the encampment out of the path. Uh, Then you had an agreement by the end of the week to give the pipeline company – TransCanada Pipeline is building this pipeline uh, Mm -hmm. to give their survey crews access to the route to go through the encampment. Uh, And so it's a temporary truce and and an encouraging one. Good for the RCMP for getting there. But the First Nation, the leaders of this encampment are still saying they do not consent to the construction of the actual natural gas pipeline. So that issue has simply been postponed. The reckoning is still coming. And you ask a good question. Will that dispute end up in court? Well, modern times, history in British Columbia suggests that sooner or later, most of these matters end up in front of a judge.
0: For many Canadians, the understanding of the process of getting buy-in from First Nations for a project like this would have revolved around whether band councils have given the okay. Um, obviously, the, the the council for this First Nation has said. Uh, have signed an agreement with uh, the people building this project, but the hereditary chiefs have said, no, what constituency do they represent in the community? And can you give Canadians a a bit of an understanding of, of how that works? Well, that particular First Nation is
1: diverse and complex. There are five clans, 13 houses, and by some reckonings, as many as 100 hereditary chiefs. This is one clan and some hereditary chiefs who were holdouts there. And that's, again, a complication that is difficult to sort out. There are many hereditary chiefs as well as elected councils of those 20 First Nations that have consented to this project. This is a holdout situation. And the question, I guess, politically posed by the provincial government last week, Premier John Horgan, who wants this project very badly, is can one small group, significant but small, uh, a minority within the First Nation, can that group block a project that would benefit not just all British Columbia, but the 20 First Nations who stand to get the hundreds of millions of dollars worth of benefits that
0: are guaranteed in those benefit sharing agreements? And what are the concerns of the those who were opposed to the project?
1: Well, they started off uh, opposed to to the – and this encampment was established almost 10 years ago. They started off opposed to the Northern Gateway Oil Pipeline. Remember it. Uh, Well, it's dead. Uh, And they switched to the LNG uh, pipeline or the natural gas pipeline when the right-of-way of of that was charted out. Uh, Their opposition is – I mean fundamentally it's we are masters of our land and you have not consulted us properly and secured our consent but in addition to that many of the things they've said they are opposed to fossil fuel development they're opposed to natural gas development and so and that's why this group this holdout group has gotten a fair amount of support from environmental activists in British Columbia who want Canada to cease fossil fuel development
0: now you mentioned that there there seems to have been a a, a truce between the RCMP and this group of uh, people opposed to the project Where do we go from here? What is the next step in this?
1: Well, the initial agreement is that the RCMP will monitor the situation, will recognize this encampment as a healing center, not attempt to remove any of the buildings and so forth, that the people who occupy the space uh, will allow the survey crews for the pipeline company through and allow them to do their surveying. Uh, The next step will be whether or not they're allowed to clear the right of way. And I don't know as though they've got an agreement on that. But then you get to the question of, well, what if they want to start building the pipeline Pipeline. And on that point, the people at the encampment and their leadership have made it quite clear they have not consented to the construction of a pipeline. All they've done is consent to access by survey crews.
0: Now, I, I want to talk a, a little bit more broadly about the, the political climate and the, the stakes involved with this project. You, you mentioned earlier we're talking about a $40 billion project, and that this involves um, the terminus at Kitimat uh, as well as this pipeline. How important is this project to uh, Canada or the federal government and the BC government?
1: Oh, critically important to both levels of government. Uh, British Columbia's oil and uh, uh, natural gas resource is, as I say, we are a captive market of the Americans. And the Americans, thanks to the revolution in uh, fracking and uh, shale gas development, uh, have a, a, a glut of gas. So the price is low. The price is, I don't know, a seventh, a tenth of what it was at its peak uh, in the early 2000s. So as a result, British Columbia is getting a discount for its natural gas, and the hope was to develop uh, export industry based on shipping the gas to markets in Asia. This project has huge buy-in from the Malaysians, the Chinese, the Koreans, uh, and the Japanese. They're partners in developing the project. uh, We're closer to Asia at Kitimat than we are in Vancouver. And so the hope was that by diversifying our market, we would get a better price for the resource. The provincial government would benefit from that. The benefits would be shared with First Nations. So that's the model here but of course all of Canada would be- benefit as well because Canada the whole country is a captive of the American market for natural gas you'll be familiar with the argument that that's true of oil as well in this <laughs> case it's natural gas but it is a significant argument in favor of this project
0: yeah you you mentioned the the argument around oil you know i'm sitting right now in in a newsroom in alberta where the idea of getting uh, market access for uh, alberta's oil resources is Uh, of utmost importance right now. Um, Do you think the BC government gets the irony of now being in a similar position to Alberta and having to argue the benefit of a pipeline project in the face of uh, First Nations opposition, but also environmental opposition?
1: Uh, Premier Horgan has been addressing that issue since before the election when he was in opposition and when he supported natural gas pipelines but not oil pipelines. And essentially his argument is twofold. First of all, that if a natural gas pipeline ruptures, the stuff vents into the atmosphere. It doesn't spill all over the landscape. And Mm -hmm. the second issue is that natural gas tankers, uh, they don't spill into the marine environment the same way either. So he does not regard it as a contradiction. I recognize Albertans do, but he does not regard it as a contradiction to support natural gas export development through Kitimat, but not oil export through the port of Vancouver. Now, a person from Alberta might also point out that it's not a coincidence that British Columbia has almost no oil and plenty of natural gas.
0: Yes. Alberta has plenty of natural gas as well.
1: Yeah. And some of the the natural gas that would go through this pipeline, of course, would come from Alberta and Saskatchewan. It wouldn't just be. And that goes to your argument, too, about the benefits to all of Canada.
0: Now, Horgan has called this project a model of government-to-government dealings when we're talking about uh, consulting and uh, obtaining the consent of, of First Nations, but we we still seem to be at somewhat of an impasse because of uh, one group who opposes it. D- is there an instance you think where we could see a pipeline built that doesn't involve a lengthy court challenge, or or is it something that we're, we Canadians may be looking – to see in the, in the future?
1: Well, I think this one's got the best shot of, of getting through. You know uh, there 's a lot of support from the provincial government, the federal government, a lot of support from first nations and uh, if anything is going to make it across the finish line, this one is the one that should do it. Uh, there is still a question mark over it, but it still has the odds in its favor uh, I mean the thing to remember about British Columbia is and this United Nations declaration, which is always worth pointing out, is that there are two hundred and three recognized First Nations in British Columbia. Mm-hmm. That is more than there are members of the United Nations. So the United Nations is telling us to deal with our nations uh, better and fairly, but there's an awful lot of them to deal with, and it wouldn't take very many holdouts as we've seen here. Even within a single First Nation, a holdout can create a problem, and that's what uh, the two levels of government and the company is facing with LNG Canada.
0: At least in this case, it does seem like there has been uh, a concerted effort on the part of TransCanada and on the B.C. government to, to work towards getting that consent. How does this compare to the B.C. government's handling of the Site C dam?
1: Well, on Site C, there was a major effort made as well by the previous government to get a high level of consent from First Nations. Uh, but it wasn't as successful. That project has survived every court challenge so far, but and that's 14 court cases uh, of one kind or another. But there are still a significant holdout and a case that will go ahead in B.C. Supreme Court this year where uh, two First Nations uh, in that area They sought an injunction to stop the project. They failed in that, but they still get a full-blown case where they claim infringement, significant infringement of their treaty rights and of their land. So that matter isn't settled yet. The thing it does have in common with LNG Canada project is that the New Democrats although they were critical of Site C and opposition, came out and decided the project was too far along to cancel it, and construction is proceeding apace. Uh, We're still a long way from finishing the project Mm -hmm. because it's big and complicated, but it does have strong provincial government support in going ahead.
0: The arrest of, uh, I believe it was 14 people last week at the it sparked protests across the country. Uh, there were protests in in cities across Canada, many people suggesting that we, they needed to stand up for the rights of F- First Nations in Canada, but also plenty of people who were speaking out about the use of fossil fuels. Uh, and we need to move away from this economy of burning fio- fossil fuels. We're talking about LNG here, which has a, a much lower uh, greenhouse uh, gas and environmental effect than does... Uh, burning other fossil fuels such as as coal. What is the government saying about how clean uh, this project would be or or what it is that they're shipping through this pipeline?
1: Uh, Two things. The provincial government says this uh, project – goes ahead it will be the cleanest ln it would be much cleaner in terms of emissions than the projects of our competitors including the competitors in the US gulf states uh, that's measured by emissions per metric ton of uh, lng produced so that's their first uh, claim the other the other claim is uh well it's debatable but it's an argument that's used regularly which is um Natural gas is a transition fuel uh, from fossil fuel to renewables, and it is the cleaner of the options compared to coal and oil, and that it will mean that the companies, the countries that buy our natural gas will therefore need to purchase less other sources of energy. As I said, that's debatable, but that's one of the arguments used in favor of the project, that essentially we're developing what is a needed transition fuel for the Asian economy as it proceeds to wean itself off of
0: coal-fired generation and so forth. And one last question for you, looking at the timeline of this, obviously, they'd need to complete the surveying work before they go ahead with other steps in the project. How soon is it expected the construction of the pipeline would go ahead?
1: I've not seen a timetable for that yet. Uh, They were hoping to have this survey work done last spring, but they were unable to get access to that part of the site. Uh, we are assured that the the entire project will go ahead, and I'm sure the government will be looking for shovels in the ground. But I've not seen a timetable for either part of it
0: yet. Are you seeing any sign of uh, the government or Trans-Canada looking to speak with the the people in opposition to the project um, or work out some kind of talks between the the council and the and the hereditary chiefs?
1: Yeah, they've tried and, uh, you know, with the I gather with the other 19 First Nations along this route that that's what happened, that the elected council and the hereditary chiefs came to a common understanding that this was project needed in terms of jobs and development for the people and that's why there, there aren't holdouts all along the route. Uh, they've tried with this uh, encampment. This is the first significant access that anybody's gotten to that site uh, since the encampment was established some years ago. Mm-hmm. So when I say that what happened with the RCMP last week is encouraging, it is, but we've still got a long way to go to uh, getting all the way there to being able to build a pipeline through the traditional territory of that particular group of First Nations leaders.
0: Okay. Well, I guess it'll be something that we'll be following for quite some time. Yvonne, thanks for your time. Oh, you're welcome. 10 3 is produced by Carson Jarama. Technical support this episode from Rob Shaw. Thanks to my guest, Vaughn Palmer. I'm Dave Breckenridge. Thanks for listening.